Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Oh My Allergies podcast. This is your hostess with the mostest, Valencia. And if you are new here, the Oh My Allergies podcast is a podcast about all things allergies. Whether you have food allergies, seasonal allergies, skin allergies, or even your pet has allergies, Oh My Allergies is a safe space for discussions for those that need a bit of advice and support from someone who understands their struggle. Let's learn how to navigate life and learn how to thrive with our allergies together. Hey guys, welcome back to the Oh My Allergies podcast. If you are not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you are subscribed on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Make sure that you follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is at Oh My Allergies. You can follow me on Instagram as well. My Instagram is at Oh My Valencia. Make sure that you take the time to leave a rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and other platforms that allow you to give us a rating, give us a review. It really helps us with being able to be able to make more implementations into this podcast and really be able to cater and be able to come out with more topics and more episodes that you guys are really into. But also make sure that you keep on telling people that you know and don't know about the podcast. So I know it has been a minute since there has been a new episode, but if you do follow us on our podcast Instagram, which is at Oh My Allergies, I just plugged it before, um, there was some notice on there that actually my computer had to go into um like a depot to get serviced. I was having some problems with the keyboard and so pretty much the whole keyboard had to get replaced. So it took a minute and so I'm happy to be back on the mic with you guys and talking with you guys. I am so excited, especially for today's episode. It's definitely going to be a good one. We actually have a guest on today's episode. I am talking with Kathleena, the allergy chef in today's episode. So I am so excited for you all to hear our conversation and all that good stuff. But before I get into that, I do want to tell you guys a little bit about what's been going on with me lately and kind of bring you guys up to speed since it's been a minute. Um, what's been going on with me, there's been a lot of changes um, going on in my life right now. So dealing with my whole computer and it getting serviced and having to get fixed. Um, I've been doing some other things in terms of for the podcast, as well as some like some things going on like career wise, been doing a lot of interviews, been doing a lot of meetings and talks and things like that. So kind of have been going nonstop with that kind of like back to back to back, which is exciting. But also after a while, it can get where it can take a toll on you. And I've kind of gotten to this point where I am feeling a little burnt out in a sense. And I think it's also because I've not been really getting the proper amount of sleep in terms of making sure I'm getting my eight hours of sleep. I'm probably more so like getting like five hours of sleep. It's not really that good, guys. Like it's it's really bad. And I've been really trying to um, be gracious with myself and slow down and remember to take that time to rest. And that rest is, you know, something that is required. It's not something that is a sign of not being able to 
like get things done or anything like that. Like you need to rest. And so that's something that I've been really trying to tell myself lately. And I'm actually recording this while I have like the biggest headache that I've had in a while, uh, just because I've just been having problems with sleeping. And I definitely have not been keeping up with doing my meditations that I've told you guys about that I'm really, really into. So hopefully I can get right back into those again, because I definitely see that when I don't do them, that it makes like such a big difference. Um, But that's pretty much what's been going on with me just been doing a lot of things a lot of things all at once um and in in terms of like the fun stuff that's been going on with me um watch the bachelor yeah the bachelor um and then was watching like the final rose and all those other things and found out there's going to be two bachelorettes on one season so that's going to be very chaotic i've uh, been watching summer house which is one of my favorite shows that comes on bravo if you have bravo you should definitely check it out it's a really good show um have been watching the real housewives like girls trip that's actually a pretty good series also have been watching paris and love that's actually a pretty good show as well Um, I'm trying to keep you guys like up to speed in terms of what I've been kind of doing and like watching and what's kind of been keeping me entertained. Oh, I almost forgot. And this is something that I was actually watching right before I actually started recording this intro to this episode. And it's softball. If you have not been listening to the podcast long, or if you have been listening to the podcast long, then you would know that I am a big softball fan, especially college softball. I love it. It is so entertaining. It is so good. It is one of those sports that really gets me going. I actually like was screaming at a game that happened this past weekend. And literally the next day, like when I was trying to stretch and I was like swallowing because like that's what you do when you're trying to breathe and my throat hurt and I was like, oh my gosh, like I screamed so much that my throat muscles started to hurt and it was very painful for me the rest of the day, but it was very well worth it because I just get that so much into the softball games. So I've really been watching a lot of Texas softball. I am a big Longhorns softball fan. Really love like Janae Jefferson and Mary Iapoco and just really like that team. I've actually been following some of those people who are on the Longhorns team when they actually played at University of Oregon when Mike White was the coach there. If you don't watch college softball, you're probably like, what is she talking about? But have been a big fan of him. So like when he went to the Longhorns, I was like, okay, so now I'm a Longhorn fan. So I am a big fan of the burnt orange and white um another team that I like watching of course I like watching UGA um but I've really been getting into watching Georgia Tech softball for some reason I didn't even know that they had a softball team but now I have been watching it every time they like air their games and I get really into it hopefully I'm able to like go and be able to see some of these games in person that would be like really cool in terms of like seeing like the women's college world series I think that would be like so fun to be able to like see in person but really been following those teams today I was actually watching a game between UGA and Bama which I am not a big Bama fan I actually don't like Alabama at all Uh, all of the Bama Crimson and Cream fans can come at me but I am not a Bama fan I don't think I will ever be a Bama fan so every time I see them I'm just like whatever 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 
Um, so saw that game. They absolutely crushed Georgia. I was very upset because Georgia did really well in the beginning of the series. Um, they played a total of like three games throughout the weekend. So they played Friday. No, I think they played Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday today. So that was actually a pretty good series to watch this past weekend. Longhorns had a series of three with, I think, Missouri State. No, Iowa State. It was Iowa State. Um, so that was actually a really good series because like Texas would always like fall behind, but then like they would like come back and like win the game. And it was like so amazing. So definitely was able to watch my softball this weekend and just lately in general, I've just been so into it. So that's definitely been keeping my mood up and has really kept me energized and entertained a lot lately. Um, but I can give you guys a reading update. I feel like I've been telling you guys and updating you guys in terms of like when my reading has been like really good and when my reading has like slumped. Um, I've not really gotten back into reading yet. I want to say that hopefully if I get back better on a sleeping schedule that I will get back into my reading grind. I will say that one time I was like super, super tired. And apparently when I woke up the next morning, I found out that I bought some books on Amazon. Um, I did not even realize that I did that while I was very, very sleepy. I mean, there's worse things that I could have done. Um, but now I just have books that I bought that I'm like, wow, I definitely need to read these because I bought them. So that happened recently. Um, but that's pretty much what's been going on with me. But with that being said, I'm going to get right into the introduction of today's guest. Today's guest, I am so excited. I'm going to be talking with Kathleen, the allergy chef. So I'm really excited for you guys to really hear our conversation. We talked about so many different things. We talked about allergies, of course, talked about food allergies. We talked about how food can really impact your overall health in so many different ways, whether it's your cognitive function, whether it's how you feel from the inside out. It's just so very interesting. The that food plays in a lot of different aspects of your life that you don't even really think about. So it's really interesting uh, for you guys to be able to hear her story and her um, experience with that through her children and through her family and through her own experiences as well. We talked about what it's like living in a mixed allergy household. We talked about, you know, what are the ways that you can better advocate for your child if they have food allergies, talking about what you can do to make your household feel safer for you if you are the person in your household that has food allergies and maybe your kids don't or your partner doesn't either. And that's definitely a tricky situation to navigate through. And we just talked about so many other really cool and exciting things. So I'm so excited for you guys to hear today's episode and to hear my conversation with Kathleen, the allergy chef. So with that being said, let's get right into me introducing today's guest. So Kathleen has over 200 food allergies and intolerances and cannot drink most water. I know, right? The members of her household also have food allergies and special diets, and none of them are the exact same. After being told she had 30 days to live, she made it her mission to really help the food allergy and special diet communities thrive. Three years from her lowest point, she and her team has published several cookbooks, started a bakery, done local and nationwide outreach, developed hundreds of free recipes and resources, and so much more. And you can go and learn more about all of her different ventures at theallergychef.com. 
gmail.com. So with that being said, let's get right into my conversation with Kathleena, also known as the Allergy Chef. Thank you so much, Kathleena, for coming on the podcast, aka The Allergy Chef. So happy to have you here and to talk to you about all things food. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a great conversation for sure. <laughs> so before we get started, each episode, I talk about my foodie likes, which are basically things that I've been loving recently that are related to food. So it could be a snack. It could be a book about food, a food item a favorite meal that you've had recently, um, whatever floats your boat. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of your foodie likes right now? Um, I mean, as you know, I only have like nine safe ingredients to work with, right? So um, I'd probably have to say ice cream. Like I, I make a pretty good nine ingredient free from ice cream that mimics mm. the creaminess. You've got the mouthfeel. Um, it's pretty darn tasty. And recently I've been experimenting. So we've got an ice cream machine with a compressor built in, which I'm telling you is the only way to go if you're like free from and you need to make ice cream at home. But um, I finally decided, let me experiment with freezing final ice cream. It's not so bad. It's not as good as day one, like straight from the machine, mm -hmm. but it's also like, well, I didn't have to take the time to reblend and put it through the machine. So, you know, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. But yeah, it's got to be ice cream. I've never tried to make ice cream at home before. I actually have an ice cream maker that I've not been able to touch. I've seen other people make ice cream and I'm like, wow, like I wish like I could do that in terms of like doing like dairy free because I don't eat dairy myself. Um, but being able to get like that consistency that's like really nice, but like not like too soft, but like not too firm at the same time. So like the whole thing about the compression thing that you said about having that in an ice cream maker, that's very interesting because I've never heard that before. Okay. So do you not have a compressor on yours? Is yours more like a, um, like the smaller ones where you, you yeah. use the bowl and stuff like that? Okay. Yeah. The compressor, what it does is, um, there's no bowl freezing. Oh, so the bowl, I know people can't see me holding up my hands to show you this. <laughs> the bowl portion of the machine's like this big. Mm -hmm. And then the compressor section of the machine is like this big. So the whole thing is like this big and it sits on your countertop. It's a big machine because it's got this giant motor literally freezing and keeping the whole thing cold for an hour while it churns your mix, which is really cool. Wow. So that's the key. And then, of course, um, there's this great website called icecreamscience.com. And they've got a review. So I had made the mistake of falling prey to Amazon fake reviews. Mm. So the first ice cream machine I bought spent a lot of money on something that didn't work all the time consistently. And then I missed the return cutoff date by like 12 hours. Wow. And I was so mad because I got stuck with this machine for like three years. And then one day I woke up and I was like, you know what? I want ice cream. I want good ice cream on a hot day because the machine doesn't work on hot days, which defeats the entire purpose, right? I'm like, I don't care what it costs. I'm buying another ice cream machine. So I did. <laughs> and um, I gotten it down to like two, right? But I'm not spending $600 on two machines to test them out. And um, so I was like doing some online thing. And then lo and behold, I find this great website, Ice Cream Science, where the guys actually purchased the top three and he gives you all the details on the top three machines. And I thought it was really funny that my top two were in his top three. And um, I finally picked the one and I've been like 98% happy with it. I still wonder about the other one, would I have been happier, but it's okay. It doesn't matter. Um, 
I'm happy with the ice cream. Now, the real trick, this is the secret nobody is telling you, okay? So write this down for later. The real secret to free from ice cream, oil. Hmm. Yeah, because, okay, if you think about the word cream, what is cream? Cream denotes a certain amount of fat percentage. Right. Ice cream is not ice milk. And if you only use a dairy-free milk without any other fat source, you're making ice milk. Okay. If you want ice cream, you must create essentially a faux cream first. So you take all your ingredients, you blend them on like super high, super smooth in your blender, and then you pop them over. Now you have to be careful though. The balance of the oil to milk ratio is so delicate. If you go over, you end up with cold shortening and it's disgusting and you will force yourself to eat it anyway because it's expensive ingredients. If you're like me, <laughs> I'm not wasting this and you will sit there and eat that nasty cold shortening. Um, you don't do enough, you end up with ice milk with a hint of texture. You don't get the blending right or the other ingredients right. Then you end up with um, like chunks of weirdness. And that's the thing. Like if you, so let's say you um, get the perfect blend, but then you don't freeze your mixed ice cream. Okay. Then like, cause what I used to do um, before I did the oil technique, I would allow the ice cream to melt completely and then stick the bowl in the fridge and then re-churn the next day or whatever, right? Because that was like for best results. But with the oil, when you have the ice cream, it actually creates these chunks of fat that will never re-blend properly. So you have to freeze hmm. properly made, properly done with oil ice cream. I know that's not what we're here to talk about today, <laughs> but I, as you can tell, have this affinity for ice cream to the point where I need to make sure that you get a good mix. Like the first time out of the gate when you do it, I don't care whose recipe you follow. Like if they, if they're dairy free and egg free and they don't mention a fat source, you're going to get ice milk. Wow. I learned yeah. a lot. I learned a lot about ice cream. Because for me, like going and going to like the grocery store to find like ice cream that's like free from and like very like allergen friendly for me and my allergens, it's been kind of hard in terms of being able to find it where it doesn't taste like that ice milk. Like it's just like being able to have like that creaminess to it, but like not like the actual cream that you can't eat. I'll tell you what would actually put me on the right direction. It's a brand called Cotto. They make theirs from avocado oil. Oh. And they're like the only ones doing it. Um, they are, so the product by nature is top eight free. They're, except for one flavor. And that's the problem. So their equipment shares with like, I think hazelnut or I don't know. I think it's the cherry flavor that's not even sold nationwide or whatever um, that contains an allergen. But they have exclusive equipment where everybody else, like, where most of the people whose names I won't mention who are selling dairy-free milk or dairy-free ice cream in the stores, they're all made on shared equipment with milk, right? And I think that that's almost a huge disservice to our community. But Cotto, it's not shared with milk, which is really cool. Um, and so when I was like, avocado oil, that's pretty genius, right? Yeah. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to try tiger nut oil. Why not? I mean, what's the worst that could happen? I throw out a batch of ice cream. Turns out it was the best thing I had ever tried, ever. And the worst part is, I didn't measure anything. I was just messing around that first time. And dang, it was so good. And I've never gotten back <laughs> to that. I'm always chasing that first ice cream right. moment. Like, 
and never getting back to it. I mean, I've gotten really close, like really close, mm-hmm. but goodness, that first time I just, I, and that's the thing about me. Like, you know, sometimes people get upset because they're like, you know, your family, they always show us that they like everything. And, you know, when are you failing? And I'm like, well, number one, that's kind of rude. Don't you think to just sit around and wait for someone to fail? That's like asking a race car driver, when are you going to get into a car crash? Like, hello, this is their job, right? Um, what I do is truly a God-given gift. Literally woke up one day going from someone who could not cook to someone who could do everything pretty much the first time. So that, getting it right the first time, not surprised. Not getting back to it, upset. So good. <laughs> oh. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm a huge ice cream buff. That's my thing. Um, and I think that's why I'm a huge like proponent of I don't care what your restrictions are. We are going to find you safe and delicious food. Like we are going to find a way for you to enjoy food. I love ice cream. I've got nine safe ingredients and I still love ice cream. I made it happen. You can do it too. Like that's my thing, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. Now, another question I have for you is like, if you could describe having allergies in one word, what would it be and why? I would say inconvenient. Mm. and um mainly because that's what it is right (laughs) it's inconvenient i know a lot of people think more drastically about it it's the end of the world i can't have this oh this oh that family like they think about every negative awful thing that can happen and i'm not saying i don't want to like invalidate those people or those concerns but i like to say the word inconvenient because i want to help people shift their mindsets and recognize that like okay cool you're not going to go out for a pizza anymore but you can still make epic pizza at home there's no reason why you can't right mm-hmm. so let's start thinking about batch cooking once you get your pizza just the way you want it now let's make five of them and stick four in the freezer now you have convenient pizza ready to go let's look at every single way food allergies makes your life inconvenient and let's start fixing it so that your life is mostly convenient again sure you're gonna have to read labels and call companies and jump through all these hoops but when you find your groove you're you're moving along it's i mean i don't want to say it's not a big deal but it doesn't have to be the forefront of your life all the time it's just inconvenient like a paper cut in the wrong spot (laughs) you know the one i'm talking about yes i do and they're like oh crumbs i forgot about that paper cut and then you go about your day doing your thing and then later you go to grab something and you're like, ah, I forgot, I forgot about it. You know, <laughs> and then you get back to life, right? Like that's food allergies to me. It's, it's inconvenient. And um, I'm, I'm sorry for everyone who gets the diagnosis. You know, that that first day is so hard. That first grocery tri- shopping trip is so hard. Yeah. But your life will go on. You will lead a full and amazing life so long as your mindset is on board. And I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Yes. I can say myself, allergies are very inconvenient, whether it's food related or environmental or to materials that are made in different products or clothes or whatever your allergies are. They are inconvenient. But like you said, being able to find a way to bring that convenience back into your life again and focusing on that. I think is what's key in order to make sure that you don't let allergies become your whole identity. It's just like, oh, like I just have allergies. You know, I'm not my allergy. Yeah, I know. And the funny thing is, like, if I, as someone with more than 200 food food allergies and food intolerances can tell you this, you know, I must not be telling you a lie, right? Like if I can sit here and say the word inconvenient, I'm not sitting here drowning in sorrows or whatever. It's like, no, we're going to find a way to fix it. 
because what other choice do you have? Right. Right. And like you said, you don't want that to be your identity, which I think is hilarious because I'm the allergy chef. <laughs> right. Like how funny. Um, but for everyone else, it does not need to be your identity. Absolutely not. Um, it's just part of the way things are. And it's just that little paper cut reminding you that it's there in some moments when you don't want it to. <laughs> so I want to ask you the question of the Oh My Allergies podcast, which is what is your Oh My Allergy story? You know, like how did you get into this space of allergies? So we're a food allergy family. Our second child was born allergic to dairy. Then we later found out he was also allergic to wheat and beef. Then we later found out he couldn't do like all bovine materials and red meat did not do well with him. Then he developed an egg intolerance probably around age maybe eight, eight or nine, I think. Yeah, he developed an egg issue. And so we've been a food allergy family for like his whole life, right? He actually turns 21 in April, which is a trip. Cause I was like, I think we should make a giant cake. And Carlton's like, no, it's not the size that matters. It's the fact that you made it. And I'm like, no, no, no. It needs to be big. That's the only thing that matters. <laughs> so we're going back and forth about how big this birthday cake needs to be. Because when he turned 18, I did an 18 layered birthday cake. Oh, it was wow. like, yeah, it was so big. It barely fit in the freezer. It was only <laughs> Mind you, we have the biggest um, home commercial chest freezer that you can get, right? So it barely fit in that freezer. It was so tall. It was amazing. Wow. Um, and I'm thinking, I might go bigger this time, right? Like I could get a bigger base. And I could do one. Like, I'm thinking big. And he's like, no, it's too much cake. Just <laughs> leave me alone. I'll do the cake. You do whatever. Anyways, um, <laughs> so that's that. And, uh, but yeah, we've been a feedology family for a really long time. Personally, um, I've been undiagnosed for more than half my life. And um, then I finally got a diagnosis and everything changed. And um, that's a whole different story. That story takes so long to tell. We'll, we'll just put that in your show notes where people can read that story. But um, I think the the interesting part of my story is really when they were like, you're just going to be dead in 30 days because the, your your condition is too far. too You know, it was so complex and I deteriorated so quickly. Um, there was just, there was nothing to eat and there was nothing to drink. And um, I was like, okay, cool. Because I'm tired of suffering, right? 30 days comes and goes. And I'm like, yo, you guys said 30 days. What happened? Right. And things just turned out differently. And so after that, it was like, okay, all the information in my head, we've got to get it out of my head because it could help a lot of people. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Um, we started a bakery, which is gluten-free, vegan, top nine free, dedicated equipment. We do extreme sourcing of all the raw materials so that, you know, um, everything's coming from these top eight free lines and um, we did like a nationwide tour to help people with food allergies. And we started that raise platform. We did six cookbooks in like two years or three years or something crazy. Like we just did as much as we could to really help the community with resources that didn't exist, right? You know, you look at someone with a severe corn allergy, most of what's on the internet and available is bad information and could seriously harm someone. Um, do not join those groups. Half the groups, especially depending on your allergy, it's like you're not actually getting facts, you're getting someone's opinion. And when you're newly diagnosed, you need facts, right? The problem is, is that for certain combos of allergies, nothing exists. And I was seeing this. And with so as someone who, so I'm a mimicker. Um, I mimic cancer, Job's disease, Raynaud's, every major and minor illness that you can think of due to my symptoms. Because I'm allergic to so much and I have so many symptoms, 
depending on what I've had, um, including airborne and contact reactions. I true when I say I understand what you're going through, I actually mean it. I legitimately have walked a mile in your shoes. And so it gives me a unique perspective to offer resources that no one else is offering because they don't even think to offer this stuff. Like how many people are offering resources to someone who's a soy-free, nut-free vegan? Not many, right? Like I'm thinking about all the different people falling through all these cracks and, and I'm like, let me just start being a construction dude and I'm just sealing all the cracks up. And, and that's what I'm, that's essentially what I do every day. I sit around and seal these cracks. Ooh, you know what resource doesn't exist? I'm going to make it. Ooh, you know what else doesn't exist? I'm going to make that too. Like, that's what my day is like. Wow. And that's something that I think is really important is making sure that, you know, there are a lot of allergies that are out there that are a lot more widely known or a lot more dietary restrictions and diets that are more widely known. But for those people that tend to fall in the cracks or may feel like not a lot of awareness is being brought to their allergy or resources for the way that they eat, the way that their family eats isn't out there. I think it's important for, you know, resources to be effective and available to, you know, those who need it for different types of diets and different types of allergies and intolerances and things like that so that people can feel like, oh, like, I'm not alone. And like you said, being able to have like facts and things that are known to be true, because there is a lot of misinformation out there, especially when it comes to the world of allergies. So definitely facts is important when you're starting out um, being in the allergy world and you're just so new and you just discovered you might have, you know, two allergies or, you know, 20 or more than that, you know, and trying to figure out, you know, how to be able to bring that convenience, like we said, back into your life again. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you would say that because like one thing that gets glossed over so much is that no two people are the same. And it bugs me because you've got some allergists who they mean well, but they're treating everyone the same. And it's like, hold on. No two people are the same. You can reach into the food allergy community and pull out five random people who have the exact same diagnosis. And all five of them can respond differently to the same amount of food. No yep. two people are the same. So never let anyone, for anyone listening who's like had medical gaslighting, because apparently that's like really like growing in nature right now. Don't let medical professionals like push you aside or make you feel like they're not listening. Because at the end of the day, they work for you. You pay their bills, right? If an allergist is not working, work to get yourself a new one. Find someone who's going to work with you where you are because you are a unique individual. That doesn't mean that, you know, the stats and, you know, different treatment plans and all these other things don't apply to you. But if someone's dismissing you mm. saying, oh, that can't happen, that's not possible. Um, sorry, but I live this life every day. It is possible, right? Like when they say things, so I hear this a lot, especially um, with corn. You can't have an allergic reaction to an animal that ate corn. Oh, really? Because I did. So try not to dismiss me. You know, and that's the thing. Experts like to dismiss because they're like, oh, I've never heard of it. So it's not possible. Cool. Well, have you talked to 7 billion people? I don't think so, you know, but um, one of the things that we've actually created, because like you said, all these different allergies and things, we created what's called the advanced recipe search. It's literally the only tool on the internet like it. Um, it is the most, I like to say it's the most powerful tool for people with food allergies. It's so cool because we allow you to do a recipe search based on individual allergens, groups of allergens and food families, 
and special diets and then special requests. So like if you are, and we also include a lot of less common allergens. So let's say you're carrot-free, cinnamon-free, corn-free, and um, you're paleo, actually no, let's say you're AIP paleo, and you want it to be freezer friendly. You can check all those boxes and the recipes that come up meet all of your needs right out of the book, like just right off the bat. You don't have to make a bunch of modifications, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's so amazing because nobody else does this. And so it's like, it's just, it's helping the community in the way that we need the help. Because nowadays it's like, you talk to one person and they're like, my kid's allergic to milk and celery. Who's got a search engine for that? I do, but pretty much nobody else, right? You know, or you talk to them and they're like, my kid's allergic to insert these three really unrelated things and nobody's got help for these people. And I'm like, you have help now. Wow. You absolutely have help now. That's so, that's so cool being able to have like that type of a little search engine on your site and on your platform for different recipes and people being able to have all these different filters and being able to find something that works the best for them and their family. That's really interesting and cool. Now, my next question for you is like, what is a misconception that you believe or feel that people in the food space tend to have when it comes to food allergies from your experience as being a chef? Um, the blame is in two places, technically three. I mean, obviously it's on the person who misunderstands, right? The blame is on those who misrepresent themselves. And then the blame is on the people who are representing themselves properly, but in a rude way. And that's that we are a difficult community, right? We're pushing, we're demanding, we're difficult, we're this, we're that, like all these negative connotations. When at the end of the day, for those who are representing themselves appropriately, right? Um, if we're just trying to eat safe food, we're trying to get good information to understand whether or not your food is going to make us ill or possibly even kill us or our child, right? And so when when it's to that level, we have to get kind of pushy and ask a lot of questions and do these things. And it comes across as difficult if not done well. And, and that's something I talk about all the time. I tell people, you know, make sure you do it with, your smile, with a smile on your face. Make sure you say thank you all the time because um, we need to represent the community well because there are people, and it's really sad because I didn't know this, but apparently there's like people who don't even believe food allergies are real because they've met these kinds of people who say things like, oh, I'm allergic to lemons. And then they order lemonade, okay? And the truth is, is they just don't like lemons in certain applications, but they say, I'm allergic to lemons but they're not, or people who are trying to lose weight. So they'll say, oh, I'm allergic to wheat, even though they had a sandwich yesterday, right? When the truth is they're just trying to lose weight and they don't want to say that. And so they're misrepresenting themselves. And by default, now we're misrepresenting our community. And so people get the wrong idea because they're believing them at face value and they're not us, right? They are not allergic to these things. They're using the wrong words. And so as a whole, the community has to like bear this burden of misrepresentation or whatever you want to call it. And so we end up looking bad, but I promise we're not that bad. Like we're nice people. We really are. Um, And I'm always telling people like, be nice to your grocery people and be nice to the delivery. In fact, that's what I tell my kids all the time. I'm like, look, kids, there are two people you must always be kind to. I don't care how bad your day is going. You must always be kind to the delivery man 
and the people at the grocery store. That's your lifeline when you have food allergies. That delivery man, if you live in snowy weather, he's delivering your food packages in the snow, right? I mean, obviously we don't live in the snow, which I'm really grateful for because it's cold. <laughs> um, you know, and at the grocery store, you need a special order. If they don't like you, they're not gonna help you. You be nice to these people. You bake them cookies. You do what you gotta do to keep yourself like in the positive limelight. And that's the thing, right? Because the mailman knows me. I, I give the mailman cupcakes on his birthday, right? Like he takes care of us. And I wanna make sure that they see that I'm appreciative. And same thing at the grocery store. Like I bake cupcakes for the people at the grocery store. I'm like, hey, I made you guys some cookies and I made you guys some cupcakes. And let me tell you, when I run into a problem and I'm like, man, I wish I could find X, Y, Z. They're like, let me help you. They are so happy to help me, right? Because I've created these positive relationships and, and I want to represent our community well as well. Like it's, it's a double, double thing. And so um, I just think that we get a bad rap, not all the times, but um, we do. And I think that we as a community, you know, and, and I think that burden falls to the moms, especially because we're like the moms are the ones asking all the questions or sending in the stuff to school, usually like in most cases. And, and so that burden comes to us to make sure that we represent the community well. And um, I just, I hope that I am right. I, I want to make sure that I'm showing people that no, no, we're not being difficult. I promise. Now, I know you spoke about being a parent um, for parents who are like new to this whole world of like having allergies and intolerances. Can you explain from your experience, like what are some signs that a parent should investigate whether or not their children have food allergies or intolerances and then take them to seek care? Yeah. So a few things. Um, you have different levels of reaction, right? You have your life-threatening reaction, which I want to believe most parents would recognize and be like, oh man, something really bad's going on. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to the ER, right? Um, that's your child not breathing, hives all over their body, you know, um, they're passing out, like all these extreme reactions. I want to think that you guys would recognize them um, the same way you would recognize that, oh, a fever over this temperature, we're going, we're going in right away. Right. Um, I, 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 I have faith that you're going to recognize the life-threatening reactions. It's all the other ones you might not recognize, right? It's, um, lethargy. It's the fact that four hours or maybe three and a half hours after ingestion, your child throws up. And so now you're thinking maybe they're coming down with something, right? You're not thinking food allergy because that was like, hours ago and if you're dealing with a little kid hours ago is like days ago right in little kid world because we've already made 16 more messes and i still have to clean them up so um i think too you know read my story because i talk about less common reactions or you know body inflammation if you have a child for example who eats within a normal range i mean don't get me wrong if you're feeding your kid like fast food every single day three times a day that's a different story. But I'm talking like kids who eat at home, regular amounts of food, <clears throat> who get regular kid amounts of activity, but weigh way more than they should. That's a sign of a food allergy or food intolerance, believe it or not. So my number one sign of food allergy and food intolerance is unnatural weight gain. I can gain up to 15 pounds in one week from the wrong foods. There's no way I ate that many calories. I did not eat, 50, like I barely eat as it is at this point, right? That's a lot of weight to put on that fast, okay? Our kid too, the way, the way he actually got diagnosed with his wheat allergy was because I grew up morbidly obese, 
I knew what was normal and what should not be normal. I knew there was something wrong with me. I couldn't tell you what at the time, but I knew what I fed him. I knew how active he was. He was actually one of our most active kids. I'm like, he should not be this big. Like whatever's wrong with him, I need to find out. His pediatrician was so good. It was really funny though, because she did every other test and, and she was really thorough. She even did a sleep study, right? Like she wanted to make sure there was no problems with him. Then she says, so weird because everything's coming back normal. She goes, you know, we know he's allergic to milk. Let's just run an updated food allergy panel, just in case it's that. Turns out he was allergic to wheat and beef. Dropped those out, kid dropped the weight within a few, like within a couple months, he was in a normal weight range. It was amazing. Wow. Okay. And so those are the things you're not thinking about, right? It's um, when your child says something like, it feels like there's worms in my stomach. They don't know how else to communicate it to you, but what they might be indicating to you is that something's going on in their GI tract that's associated with food. So it's all these little things. And um, when those things happen, definitely talk to your pediatrician, talk to your GP, get a referral to an allergist, get the testing done, do an elimination diet. You know, in the case of a child who does not have life-threatening food allergies. Unfortunately, the diagnosis process can take longer, right? Especially if you're getting false positives, false negatives, and your child is still not reaching neutral and feeling well. You as a parent have to be hyper-involved. You've got to do the food journaling. You've got to keep track of what's going on um, until you get to the bottom of it. Because I, as an adult, can tell you reaching neutral is so freaking awesome. When you're not in pain all the time because of food, oh my goodness, it's like night and day. Like, it's like being able to breathe. It's, I can't even explain to you how good it feels to not be sick every day. You know, people often wonder, how do I go through life without, oh, I can't, I, I can't give up dairy. Listen, when dairy makes you throw up and makes you feel like trash, you'll happily give it up, right? People can't understand it because it, they don't physically understand the pain. Mm. But if you as a parent listening don't have food allergies, managing a child who does, I'm going to tell you, your child does not enjoy being in pain, period. I, I don't know how else to say it than that. And they can't necessarily communicate that to you, which is also why I'm a huge advocate for fully informed consent. I don't think we should be doing weird things to kids. I think we should be making sure that they understand what's going on because I don't think that's fair to them. And under, under the age of 10, most kids can't help you with the diagnosis anyway. They're not able to tell you four hours after ingestion, I still have this headache because of the food you fed me earlier. If your child can't make those associations and then communicate it to you effectively, they're not helping with the diagnosis process if they're a complex case, right? We as the parents, we're the sword and shield. We have to go above and beyond the call of duty and make sure that we're doing all the things to make sure that they get the right diagnosis and that they reach neutrals so that they can then work at their best because if your child is so exhausted, you know, and in repair mode all the time, they can't function cognitively. They can't grow, learn, play, develop. They can't do all the kid things that they need to do so that later in life they can thrive, right? Like we, we have to take care of this right away. And that's true of all medical conditions, not just food allergy. You know, if you, if you find that your child has these symptoms, but it's not a food allergy, don't give up. Keep looking for the right diagnosis because maybe they've got this other thing right? Maybe they've got this other thing that's totally treatable, but we just need to get the right diagnosis. Wow. Now I know like one thing that 
we always get questions about and see parents like struggle with is having that food allergy talk with their kids and a lot of parents with allergic kids they may question like when to tell them and how to be able to communicate their allergies to them I'd like to know like how did you explain your children's food allergies to them and like what are your tips for parents who are new to this and wanting to do the same but like not scare their kids but still be able to share the seriousness about them and just explaining kind of the whole concept of them. Okay, so obviously age-appropriate language first and foremost. I don't think you should tell your three-year-old that food could kill you, right? You'll freak your three-year-old out. Um, With little, little kids, you wanna use words like really, really sick. Things like, then we need special medicine. We have to go to the special doctor. You know, really help them understand that there's a process involved if they eat the food, but don't scare them to death, right? and it's teaching them awareness at a younger age. So our, so kid two knew what he was allergic to. Like he had like a little script memorized that we would give him, but I don't know that he really understood it, but at least he could communicate it to a certain degree, right? Um, making sure your child knows who they're allowed to ask for food from, right? Making sure your child always has safe snacks with them, et cetera. Like keep a go bag on, you know, in your car and all these things. I, when your kids are little, Believe it or not, it's you doing a lot of work to create this illusion of like everything's fine and just kind of letting them know without scaring them. As they get older, you're teaching them to read labels. And when when you know your child won't freak out about what level of reaction that they have, and this is really for a child who deals with anaphylaxis, you know, that's when you have to explain it to them. Because when they start, and that's really when they go to school. If your child goes to school, so we're looking at kindergarten, do they need to know how to self-administer an EpiPen? If the answer is yes, they need to understand completely what's going on at that point. Because you don't want your child in a situation where it's life-threatening. And because you kind of gloss over it, they don't understand the severity of the situation, right? So it's a fine line. Um, and that that's really a good place to draw the line is when they go to school. Like, and I'm not talking preschool, I'm talking like kindergarten, first grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. If they get a later diagnosis, if they're diagnosed age 10 plus, I think you could be completely honest. And I think you could give them a science lesson as well. I'm a big science buff. Um, so I would totally jump into like, yeah, and there's five IGs and this happens and that happens. And duh. like, I would totally jump in. Um, if you've got kids who are under 10, you know, role-playing with stuffed animals and like, especially like on the little kid side, you know, um, acting it out with their favorite toys, right? Helping them see like, okay, Mr. Frog, I got you a cupcake. And then maybe Mr. Frog goes, is there an egg in it? Because if I eat an egg, I'll get really sick. And then like, maybe the baker's like, um, well, I don't think there's egg. And then the frog is like, well, maybe I should ask my mommy and daddy. Cause they said that, you know, mm-hmm. and you're literally just role-playing these scenarios for your kids with their favorite toys so that they can see, you know, Mr. Frog who has this food allergy and going through it. Now, another option too, there's a lot of great books on like Amazon, wherever else people like to buy books children's books on food allergies that can help explain just food allergy to a little, little kid. We're talking two to six, right? And that gives you the basic language. So if you're feeling overwhelmed by it and you don't know where to start, those kinds of books are a great starting point. Um, And then of course, like I said, when they're older, you can jump into the whole science side of it and, and be completely forthcoming. But I think really the key is to, number one, not scare your child to death. 
because what you don't want is to accidentally give them food, fear, food, hate, food, anxiety. Those are three things that we have to then help people out of, right? The other thing you want to do is empower your child. Give them confidence. Don't make it look like it's a bad thing. Don't make their food allergy appear to be a burden, even if it is. Because I, here's the thing, I've walked the walk for a really long time. It is hard. It is not easy. And yet every so often I go out of my way to pull my kids aside and say, look, you're worth it. You're worth the struggle. You're worth the fact that your food costs six times more than the average consumer. Like, it's worth it. I would do it again in a heartbeat because you're worth it. Your situation is not a burden. It is what it is. And now that you're almost 18, you can help with the burden too, right? Like, <laughs> you know, have your fun spin on it or whatever it is. I mean, now that they're adults, it's so funny because um, I tell the kids things that they, that most adults aren't telling their food allergy children. I'm telling them things like, hey, listen, if you want to go on a date, like I fully support that, but you need to think about your food allergies. Do you like, so for kid two, it's like, do you want her to have food allergies, the same food allergies? If you're planning on getting married and having children, what does that look like for you? Like, I need you to start thinking about that now, because if she can have milk and she loves milk and you know, you can't do shared equipment. Now you're looking at how much of a mixed allergy household. And what if your child is born with food allergies and they have separate allergies from you? How are you planning on dealing with this? I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you need to start thinking it through, right? Um, you know, I tell him, I'm like, listen, dude, I mean, this in the nicest way humanly possible, but you need to make six figures because you already said you don't like to cook, which means you need to hire someone to cook for you. That's like an employee, right? Plus cost of goods. You need to be able to afford that. Your food is not cheap, okay? And, and I tell them, you know, it's like, I'm showing them receipts at this point. They're old enough to see the numbers. Like if you are going to live a full and happy life, you need to make sure you're planning for it. And so it's, it's just something that, you know, as your kid grows up and you know, their personality, the conversation is going to keep changing, but the conversation has to keep happening. Don't think you get to say it once and then never mention it again. You've got to keep talking about it. Right. Um, and you also have to talk about the, like the emotional side of it. I like to make sure my kids feel included, you know, and I asked one of them once, did you feel included growing up? And they said, I realized that you did so much to try to make me feel included, but I still felt left out sometimes. And I was like, wow. And it, I didn't like let them know how hurtful that statement was. Cause they didn't mean it. Like they didn't mean it maliciously, but talk about a punch to the gut. I jumped through so many hoops, like so many hoops, right? Made sure all the class parties, they had everything. I, we were the party house. We would invite like 20 kids over and throw these parties and make sure all the food was safe and do all like I did all the things. And yet they still felt excluded. And so if a parent like me has a child who still feels excluded, I imagine a lot of people's kids feel that way and maybe they're not speaking up. So make sure you're talking about these things. Make sure you check in with your kid and just say, how are you doing with this? You know, like I don't want your life I don't want the center point of your life to be food allergies, but I still want to check in with you and make sure that it's, it's okay. How can we make it better? Like, is there something that we can do, you know, and go from there? I know one thing you mentioned was the anxiety and stress that can come with having food allergies. And I know as a person with food allergies myself, I've 
experienced my fair share of food allergy anxiety and stress and it's something that you know I struggle with and I know that a lot of people can struggle with it as well and it can become very very consuming um so I would like to know like what has been your experience you know from a parent's perspective in you know dealing with and managing your children's allergies over the years okay you want to know something funny for as much as I help people with this topic, I don't deal with it. Like personally, mm-hmm. I've never had to manage food fear, food hate, food anxiety. Um, not for my children, not for myself as a parent. I personally sometimes have food hate for myself because food makes me sick all the time. And I'm like, man, I'm so sick of food. I don't want to look at food ever again. And then the next day I'm like, I'm hungry. What am I going <laughs> to eat? Right. And so that's, that's my own personal food hate experience. But when it came to the kids, you know, I am so hyper-organized. You have to realize, unfortunately and fortunately, I have a high IQ. And so what it means is I can take on a lot of stimulus and keep a lot of plates spinning where a lot of other people might find the exact same situation incredibly overwhelming. I walk into that situation. I'm like, cool, this, 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 boom, 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 Like, and everything is set up and it's ready to go. So for me, management has actually been the easiest part of it. So I can give other people advice on how to shift your mindset on how to set up your house in a way that helps you thrive. But I am grateful that I've never had to deal with it because I've never been afraid of stuff like that. Like, it's just not my, it's not who I am, like to live in fear of different things. And that doesn't mean I'm not careful, right? Of course I check labels. I call companies, but I'm not like afraid of it or anything like that. Right. So what would your advice be for people who, are dealing with some variation of food allergy, anxiety, or stress? Yeah. So, okay. Number one, know that you won't get out of it overnight, right? You have to consciously decide to work on this. It's probably going to take you six to 12 months to really get to a better place. You have got to be your own best hero. You've got to pep talk yourself and you have to make the decision every time that voice starts creeping in to make it stop, right? Literally, so you've, you're have you doing something and those anxious thoughts start coming in about food. I want you to literally just out loud go, stop. And I want you to literally pep talk yourself out loud and say to yourself, I'm going to stop thinking about this. I have safe food in this house. I have safe food that's delicious. Yesterday, I ate a pizza that was safe and it was so great and nothing bad happened. I have proven again and again and again and again that these thoughts are false and unfounded. I am doing fine. And then I want you to shift what you're thinking about, right? Completely change the topic. It's so funny because we say it's a train of thought, right? And if you think about it, we need to derail the train. We need to pump the brakes. We need to literally take that train of thought and put a stop to it. We need to pull that switch that the conductor dude pulls when they, you know, switch the rail and go the other direction. Like a train of thought is the most accurate way to describe anxious, fear, hateful thoughts, you know, revolving around food, because it's literally a runaway train, right? This train is running away. And if we let it, that's where we suffer. We suffer from the crippling anxiety. We suffer from the panic attacks. We suffer from the depression that won't let us get out of bed because we're just so upset about the, the, cards in life that we have been dealt the train is running away and we need to literally say stop this has to stop we have to be the conductor 
we have to pull the brakes, the emergency brake. We've got to switch the line over, get a new conductor, whatever you got to do. But we have to manage this train of thoughts or else you end up with a train wreck. Oh my goodness. Is that not like the perfect metaphor? Yeah, it sounded right? good. It sounded good. I was with you. I was yeah. like, oh. It's the perfect metaphor. I was just talking to um, our race members about this the other day about trains of thought and how it's so literal. And it, it still applies today to your question because that's what it is. It is a train of thought. We need to derail. We've got to switch the line. Can't let it run away. We don't want a train wreck. Now, what would your advice be for families that are managing a lot of different types of allergies within their household on, you know, grocery shopping, making meals, cross contact, all the things that we've talked about a little bit? Yeah. So you're what I like to call a mixed allergy household. I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but I'm totally making it a thing. I've been pushing that phrase now for a few years. So if it's not, <laughs> I'm making it a thing. If you are a mixed allergy household, um, what you're going to do, because number one, you're overwhelmed. You are going to like, we've got some really cool resources on raise that actually deal with mixed allergy household. You're going to actually cater to the greatest common denominator for like six months to give yourself a break. So if child one is wheat free, child two is egg free and child three is nut free, you're just going to make everybody go wheat, egg and nut free, period. Because if everybody's safe, you don't have to worry about shared cutting boards, shared pans, you know, which products go in, which refrigerator. We actually have three, one, two, we have three refrigerators and two freezers, right? You don't have to worry about what goes where. You're giving yourself room to breathe. So you're going to start with the greatest common denominator. You're going to work that. You might find that greatest common denominator living is the easiest way to live. As long as your budget can handle it, it might actually be easier for you. Once you have a handle on greatest common denominator, then slowly you're going to figure out, okay, for the child, for the children who can have eggs, do I want to work with eggs again? I've gone without it for six months. Do I really need eggs in our lives? Maybe I just need scrambled eggs for breakfast twice a week, in which case I'm going to buy a pan. It's going to be a different color. It's going to be labeled. And I'm going to make scrambled eggs in that pan twice a week. I'll also make sure I have a separate cooking utensil, whatever I need, right? We actually have this cool kitchen tour that we give people because um, our main kitchen is essentially our greatest common denominator kitchen. And then we've got like front room, we call it the front room kitchen because it's got more cooking equipment. It's got another refrigerator. It's got separate pots and pans, spoons, everything you need to cook with. And then we have what we call our outside kitchen. Um, for things that can't be cooked inside of the house because of my airborne allergy, those things go outside. So it's got like a hot plate. We've even got like a wood-fired pizza oven. Um, the kids have two toaster ovens for reheating leftovers because I cook a whole bunch. I do lot batch cooking. Um, but you're not going to get to where we are overnight. And I don't want you to. It's so much work. Um, you're going to start with greatest common denominator and then figure out, okay, do we want wheat in our house? You know, for us, we are exclusively wheat flour-free home, period. You will not find wheat or gluten containing flours in our home. Will you find bread that contains wheat? Yes, because I can put it in the freezer. The kids can heat it up in the toaster oven outside. It never has to enter the main kitchen. I don't have clouds and dusts of wheat. One of the coolest resources, and um, we'll send you the link to it. It's, um, it's a really cool video that I made that shows you cross contact in the air. People don't sometimes understand what that looks like. And so what I had was I actually had a bag of cacao in one side of the kitchen. And all I did was take cacao out, roll it up and put it away. Cacao powder 
was halfway across the kitchen. And I show you a video of this so that you can see what it looks like to have allergens in the air that then settle on something else, okay? Which is why wheat flour is not in our home. If you only have space for one kitchen and you've got a kid allergic to wheat, is it wise to bring wheat flour into your house? So that help, that when you see it in action, it helps you understand what can we safely bring in for this mixed allergy household and what are we going to choose to leave out? So for us, bread is in, flour is out, right? And, and you just kind of go through that list. So there are certain, because of my severe corn allergy, there's a lot of products we never use in our house, right? There's a lot of products that I'm actually allergic to. Here's a great example. So we've got this Italian seasoning here, right? It's just sitting next to me. Um, I'm allergic to it, but we buy it because it's an incredibly expensive brand that's corn free, which means I can cook with it without having an airborne allergic reaction to cooking their food, right? So if you're the parent with the food allergies or have a food allergy and you're having to deal with all this stuff, maybe your kids don't get to eat certain things because of your condition and you have to make, you still have to make the house safe for you as well, right? And that's really what it is to be a mixed allergy household. It's what are the severity of reactions? What's the level of tolerance? I need to cater to those levels and then everybody just has to adapt. So there's a lot of cereal our kids never get to eat. Oh, wow. Period. Because the number one ingredient is corn not coming in the house, right? They don't eat corn chips. I mean, okay, so now that they're much older, Carlton likes to buy them corn chips and they eat out in the car. But it's like a rule. It does not come in this physical house. You will eat it outside of the house. The moment you come in, you will wash up downstairs, the bathroom I don't use. Like we have so many protocols in place to make sure that I don't get sick because of something you did. So, you know, unfortunately you might find that you will always spend more on certain products just to make sure everybody can be catered to. Now, can you walk us through the journey of like the challenges you had with discovering all of your family's like dietary needs due to like allergies and other conditions and how this led to you wanting to become a chef, starting the allergy chef, and then your uh, recipe platform raise? Um, okay, so each person was different. Let's see, kid one, he had a lot of cognitive function issues and he was misdiagnosed with ADHD and other stuff. And we were actually doing all the rounds on like brain doctors. And I was taking like college courses and seminars to learn everything I could about just children, brains, education, diet, everything in, in between um, because of what it looked like it could have been with him, but it was like all over the place. And finally, I decided food was the issue that we could address a lot of issues with food. Um, so we actually did the gaps diet with him. And even before that, we did like um, a juice diet. And he said, for the first time in my entire life, I can think clearly and quickly. I was like, Oh, what? Right. Like I had paid her with a juice diet with this kid. Um, so we knew food was a big deal for him. So that like his whole story is unique to him. And then with kid two, he was born allergic to dairy. Like we knew right away. And then, um, over time, like I mentioned before, there were just symptoms that were non-life-threatening that I'm like, this is not right. What's going on? And being the scientific person that I am, the person who's always seeking an answer, I kept looking. I did not stop looking for an answer. So we got his, his whole situation figured out. Um, and then, of course, learning how to be a mixed allergy household and all that sort of jazz and safety because, you know, little kids, right? So when they're little, one of the top tips I can give you is to color code everything um, because you want to teach independence, you know. I needed the kids to be able to get themselves a snack without depending on me 24 seven. So I had like color coded snack bins and the rules were very clear. Like, it's funny because we're not, it's not to say that we don't like 
like we're 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 kind of strict but then we're like not strict at the same time we're like a mixed bag of all sorts of things but there were certain rules where you knew like you were in big trouble if you did it and that was one of the rules that you could not break you could not take food from someone else's bin and you could not put food in someone else's bin if you wanted something new you had to talk to the adults if you did not like the food but didn't want it you had to give it to the adults you couldn't give it to like your brother or your sister or anything like that so it's the color coding and it, their name was on the, these boxes as well so they knew exactly what was for them so they could take the food whenever they wanted right they didn't need me to baby them all the time which was great kid three mr low no sugar he was quite the story in fact um i'll just i'll send you the link to it i actually made a whole video on him because um his diagnosis process was interesting let's just say he was so violent that another kid in preschool their parents wanted a restraining order on him at the age of five okay it was bad it was really bad like let's just say if his grandmother wasn't the person who had started the school he totally would have been kicked out of school okay he was that kid and um and the funny thing like it's funny not funny but it's funny to us now looking back but we were doing this thing trying to get the kids to eat vegetables and so i started making dessert every night and you would get dessert if you just tried the vegetable okay so all you had to do was just literally try it and you got a full serving of dessert what kid wouldn't go with that deal right obviously like in today's world we don't do that but that's what we did back then and they were all in they they loved it and finally he had gotten himself into so much trouble carlton says at dinner one night that's it no sugar no dessert for 30 days and every kid at the table was like oh, oh. <laughs> for for our kids at that moment in their lives that was like a death sentence like no dessert because i was making like train cake and dragon cakes and like i was I went all out, okay, like for these vegetable trials. <laughs> so within two weeks, we had a different child. He could behave. He was, he was, you got to watch the video. He was a different kid. And I was like, whoa, what did we just discover, right? Because mind you, he was misdiagnosed with ADHD. And, and um, they had a five-year-old on a heart medication. And I'm like, I don't like this. This is a terrible idea. Five-year-olds don't belong on heart medication. Whose dumb idea was this, you know? And on more than one occasion, he comes to me and he says, my heart hurts. The first time it happened, I thought he meant he was sad, right? I thought this little child was communicating to me that he was sad. And I'm like, oh, come here, I'll give you a hug, right? The second time it happens, I put my hand on his chest and it, it was like his heart was trying to punch a hole in my hand. And I'm like, wow, yeah, no, we're, we are stopping this right away, right? Mind you, at the same time, Kid one is going through his whole diagnosis process. So I'm, I'm already learning like way too much about everything, right? Um, kid two's got it, like everybody's got things. So I'm, my head is just floating with all these different types of problems that can be in a human's body. And, you know, all the things that modern day society has done to us. And that's like a whole different topic. And I'm, I'm, my train is about to switch on the, on the line, right? I need to get us back on track. So the point is, is that that's how his whole thing was discovered. And Turns out one day he was really hungry and I gave him two Z-bars, right? They're supposed to be organic and kid-friendly. Combined, they had like 20 grams of sugar. Not all of it was even added sugar and he just flipped out. And that's how I knew, okay, that's your limit. So after that day, um, he did not get more than about 10 grams of added sugar. We didn't count milk or fruit against him because it was like whole food sugars, you know? <clears throat> but we did learn that if he gorged himself on milk, which he did one day just to be spiteful, on an empty stomach, he'll still lose his mind because it's still too much sugar. 
Um, wow. So that is his, he is such a unique little story, but you know, when you look at what I like to call the household of allergies, which is what we are, you know, combined, it's like, man, we walked in everybody's shoes. I know what you've been through and you've been through and you've been through and you've been through. And, you know, it's funny now because I look at certain things and I go, yeah, I don't think your kid has X, Y, Z. I think you need to investigate food, you know, and I can see it because I've been through it. But, you know, when you, when you look at modern medicine, unfortunately, when you're dealing with chronic illnesses, they're like a pill for every ill or sticking a bandaid on it instead of saying, let's get to the root cause. And I'm all about root causes. You know, it's like, we look at the ADHD rate and everybody I've talked to has agreed with me. It's like, I don't think the rate's that high. I think there are people who actually have it. I just don't think the rate's that high. I think there's a different root cause. And I think more often than not, believe it or not, food is involved. And unfortunately you've got some experts saying food is not involved. And so people are listening to that. And I'm like, hold on, I've proved not once, but twice food is involved. Food is involved for some people, not everyone, which is why I always say no two people are the same. I think we are so dismissive to anything that falls out of our narrow scope of things that we end up putting other people in situations that aren't helpful to them, right? It's not helpful to give my kid an ADHD medication. What's helpful is to change his diet. Mm. So, but yeah, all of that led to me doing what I do because um, I've got all this information in my head and nobody's talking about it. And I'm like, well, then I'm going to talk about it because somebody needs to say something. And I guess that's going to be me. Like, what are your like go-to like kitchen tools and gadgets for cooking? Um, it depends on your allergy set, right? Um, I think if you are dairy nut corn free, you've got to have a neutral milk. You've got to be able to make safe milk and like, and you can't do shared equipment. So shared equipment is going to be a thing, which is a whole other story. Um, Goodness, we could talk for like 10,000 hours, you and I. <laughs> but um, definitely a Nutri-Milk. A KitchenAid is a must-have for a free-from family. Depending on the size of your family, don't even get the small one. Just get the commercial one, which you can double and triple batch everything in. Um, a chest freezer or a standing freezer. Like the big, big ones. Don't get the little ones. Get the big one. Um, that is a must-have for a free-from family. If you cannot batch cook and freeze, you're going to be short-order cooking every day, and you're going to be exhausted. And that is no way to live. Been there, done that, got the shirt. It sucks. Like, oh my goodness, no. Um, hmm. After that, I think it's down to personal preference. I mean, because I do recipe development, I have every tool, right? I've got the dehydrator, two ice cream machines, three kitchen aids, a Nutri-Milk, a crazy cool water filter. I've got like literally 15 knives, 40 different individual like tools for cooking, mm -hmm. plus 25 wooden utensils. I kid you not, 50 pots and pans every baking tray and round you could like I, I have every tool because that's what I do but after the top I like the top tier it's just all about personal preference because you know if you come from a traditionally Asian household where you don't do a lot of baking and you eat a lot of fish and vegetables you need a certain set of cooking tools for that right if you come from a traditionally um, Mexican household you're going to get a tortilla press before you get a, a, a bamboo basket for steaming right? It comes down to personal preference, culture, lifestyle. Um, and I think that you need to sort of hone in on the foods that you want to eat, things that you miss, and buy the tools that will get you there. Now, how do you go about developing the recipes that you all put on the Raise platform and on the Allergy so, Chef? So what's funny is I can't eat any of it. Like 99% of what you see, I've never eaten. Um, what I do is Number one, I think about foods that people miss. I make sure that those are there. 
I think about foods that people need. I make sure those are there. Um, we make sure that at least 50% of the rest of the recipes are vegan at all times. Uh, we make sure that more than 70% of the recipes are family-friendly, kid-friendly, because at the end of the day, that's who we're serving mostly. Um, we try to keep it easy. I don't make you do things that are too difficult. I try not to make you buy new equipment. And so from there, you know, the way recipes work in my head, at least it works in groupings. Um, if I want, so like, let's say I want to use, um, ground mustard in a recipe. So with mustard comes number one, mustard, and then it's a seed. So I've just knocked out an entire group of seed free people and then, um, cruciferous. So I've knocked out that group of people. Now, is there so much mustard that it can't be omitted? Like, can I omit it so that it's still compatible with these people? No, it's a dominating flavor. Okay, cool. I knocked out these groups of people. Are there other ingredients that those groups can't have that I now want to use to enhance this recipe, right? Like if I'm going to knock them out, I might as well knock them out, mm -hmm. right? I'm not going to go a little way. Um, and then I'm going to develop on that. Everybody else around here, they eat the food. If they give it the thumbs up, it goes on the website. If not, I either ditch the idea or sometimes they're like, you know, I just think you need to tweak this one thing. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then we move on. You know, what I said earlier about it being a God-given gift, I was not joking. Um, I, I usually get it right the first time. And it makes for, like, the funny thing is, is, we were just talking about this the other day. It's funny you would ask. So I was like, do you realize if I didn't get it right the first time, every time, I would not do this job. And Carlton's like, yeah, you're right. You would hate this job. You do not have the patience for this. I'm like, no, <laughs> I do not. I do not have the patience to get it wrong. I just don't. Um, that is not who I am by, like, but that is not my nature. So for me, it's like, I have to keep moving like bam, 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 bam. So it works. Um, I hope, did I answer that question? I feel like I you did. did. You did. I think about things or maybe I'll see an idea somewhere or something might be trending. And I'm like, oh, that's got this, 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 and this. They knocked out all these people. Let me go make a version that brings those people back in. Mm. Right. You know, it's, and then it's me thinking about the combos that nobody thinks about. Allium free barbecue sauce. Who takes onion and garlic out of barbecue sauce? No one. Well, I did, right? Like, you know, I, I think about all the ways traditional food excludes people and then I flip it upside down. I put them back in. And what's funny is now that we've, so we've gotten over 500 recipes on the website now. Now that we're over 500, I feel like phase one is complete. Like I did it all without a lot of things. And now I'm like, okay, now let me develop some recipes that include this allergen or that allergen, this other thing, because we have some people who come to us and they're like, I get most of my calories from nuts. Well, right now, most of the recipes are nut free on purpose, right? So now it's having to develop for the other group of people, right? right. Who are in a different way. And that's what I'm always doing. Just finding who's been left out. Cool. Let me get you back in because everybody needs safe and delicious food. What would your advice be for people who want to set boundaries for themselves and for their children when it comes to allergies? No is a complete sentence. Mm. You don't owe anyone your time or energy. Some people just need to be text message buddies. You should always do food free events around certain people. If you know what I mean, wink, wink, make it clear a little bit can hurt. Um, and in some cases, a little bit can kill. If you have grandparents, there's actually a really cool video on our website about how to deal with grandparents who maliciously seek to harm your child. You cut them out. You make it clear. You don't have a right to see my child. You have a privilege, but you don't have a right. And if you're going to harm my child, you're not going to be in my child's life. I say this and I mean this with so much seriousness. 
If you remember nothing else from today's recording, remember, you are your child's sword and shield. If you think for one second, little Johnny or Susie, who's four years old, is going to stand up to your, to your parents, so their grandparent, they won't. They will accept the food and they will pay the price. You are your child's sword and shield. It is your job to stand up for them. I don't care how shy and timid you are. I don't care how much you don't like confrontation. You will do this for them because they are depending on you. You are their line of defense. In fact, you're their only line of defense. You're their only line of defense against anyone who seeks to harm them. And that includes well-intending doctors who are like, let's do this food trial, even though the last 10 failed. If you're not comfortable, no is a complete sentence. Period. That's my advice. That's good advice, because I know that that's something that for my intentions for this year is making sure that I know that and that I remember that that no is a complete sentence and for all aspects of my life especially for allergies because mm. I've been in so many situations where you know I might have felt uncomfortable and I exposed myself to an allergen that I didn't even know that I was even allergic to to begin with and that was and it's scary in itself um mm. but that was from me not knowing certain things and being new to the allergy world and things like that. So ever since, you know, I first found out that I was anaphylactic to macadamia nuts because that was a situation where I had accepted a food from someone in my life that I trusted and that I didn't really think anything of it. I was a kid at the time and, you know, I just took it because it was something that I never really tried before. And I was like, oh, okay, let me try it or whatever. And then found out I was, I'm anaphylactic to macadamia nuts and I cannot have those even two or, or just even one or three, like. I just experienced so many symptoms and it was very scary for me and my parents. And I don't really wish that on anybody, but I've gotten better over the years at my family being like, you know, you need to say no if you don't feel comfortable taking a food from someone if they can't answer X, Y, and Z questions or, you know, just being more upfront and not being afraid to say no. So I think that's really great advice. Yeah. I know some families when they have kids under 10, I've got a friend who does this with her kids because they're, they're, well, one of them isn't under 10 anymore, um, but they have a very strict policy. They will not accept food, not in a package from a brand that they already have investigated. So they thank people all the time. Thank you so much for thinking of us. That was so sweet. And they're like the nicest people you'd ever meet. And she's always thanking people for their thoughtfulness and their kindness and their awareness. But the kids know they always say no. They always say no, thank you. That's the rule. And they follow it to the T and nobody else has ever made her kids sick because they don't accept food from anyone. That includes relatives. Nobody gives them food that's not in a package from a brand that they know. Wow. That's good advice though, to just make sure that you're putting those precautions in place. And like you had said before, setting those boundaries and putting those protocols in place for you and your family, just to make sure that you all are safe you know, whether everyone is allergic to that food or just one person or two people or however many people in your family are allergic to that food, just doing whatever you can to make sure that you and your family are safe is important. Yeah, it really is, you know, and, and be on the lookout for stuff, you know, for example, kid two, he would get these contact reactions. So he's contact allergic to dairy as well. Oh, wow. He's actually 
We found out the hard way he's actually airborne allergic too, but his airborne tolerance is pretty high. We just didn't know because, because the tolerance was so high, we didn't know about it. He found out probably when he was like 18 or 19, he went to a party and they, it, it was like in a cafeteria type room and they had brought in all this pizza and they were opening up loads of boxes of fresh hot pizza and he started having an allergic reaction and he had to leave. And um, so we, we, you know, it, it tells you his tolerance level, like what it takes to set it off. But um, he was having these weird skin problems on his hands. And I finally was able to draw the dots that the other kids were eating dairy, going to the bathroom, washing their hands. He was also washing his hands, touching the same sink, touching the same soap that they had touched with dairy on there. So it's like, sometimes, you know, you can jump through all the hoops and then you're still jumping through hoops. So just know that like being a mixed allergy household, there's a lot of hoops you're going to jump through, but you'll get there. Now, my last question for you is where can people find more about the work that you do and the work that you do as, you know, the allergy chef, you know, the raise platform, all of the things. Yeah. So the best place to go is theallergychef.com. I like to think you're going to remember that. Um, if you go to theallergychef.com, it has links to everything we do. It's got the books, it's got our bakery, it's got Ray's. It even has a really cool free program. If you're newly diagnosed that you can sign up for, we send you like a weekend meal plan. We, um, get you into a webinar where we talk about allergies, how to read labels, all the basics to get you started. Um, it's all at theallergychef.com. So raise, you can either go to goraise.net and that's R-A-I-S-E, not R-A-Y apostrophe S, which I think is hilarious. Um, raise is a platform that it actually stands for restricted diet, allergy, food intolerance, special diet, such as paleo gaps, AIP, SCD, and then the E is for EOE, right? We tried to include everyone with that one word and um, raise.theallergychef.com. That is the coolest thing you've never seen before. Check out the advanced recipe search. You don't even have to be a member to use it. It's really, really cool. Everybody can do the thing and then just look at pretty pictures of food and just have a good time. And um, on the main navigation, there's this thing called free resources. We've got some free recipes and some really great articles that you should be reading, like hidden sources of wheat and hidden sources of dairy, hidden sources of corn, and um, you know how to manage class parties with food allergies. And we've got toddler resources. And there's just so much there. Did you know there's over a thousand resources on our website right now? Oh, wow. I think we're almost at 1200. It's crazy. Like there's a lot there, a lot. So um, definitely explore it all. It's yeah, there's a lot there for you to take in and learn and really just grow with and start to thrive. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed talking with you about, you know, allergies, food allergies, intolerances, children with allergies, adults with allergies, just all the things in between. Just definitely had a great conversation. It was great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I 
I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and really were able to get some value, some information, and really were able to learn a lot from my conversation with Kathleena, also known as the Allergy Chef. I really enjoyed talking with her and being able to really learn not only more about her story, but also about her family story and really all of the knowledge that she's kind of learned along her journey with allergies as well as her family's journey with allergies as well. But if you guys want to learn more about all of the work that she's doing, make sure you go to her website and the website is theallergychef.com. You can learn more about, you know, her bakery, her books, um, the Raise platform, follow her on social media as well. I believe all of her handles is The Allergy Chef. So make sure you definitely go check out all the work that she is doing and the resources that she's providing for people who are in the special diets community as well as with allergies. But if you are not subscribed to the Oh My Allergies podcast at this point, I don't know what you're waiting for. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. Like I said, we're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. Guys, we're pretty much everywhere. So definitely there is no reason why you are not subscribed to the Oh My Allergies podcast. So make sure you do that. Also, make sure you follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is at Oh My Allergies. Mine is at Oh My Valencia. Make sure that you keep on sharing the podcast with people you know and don't know. Leave us a rating and review of the podcast. Really helps us out and I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye guys.